All right, you guys ready? Ezekiel 32, let's crack it open and take a look at uh, at what the Lord has for us. This is the final word of the oracle of the nations. Again, it's an oracle to Egypt. But there are multiple times in the Bible, Ezekiel 32, Ezekiel 30, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, Job, I want to say somewhere around 19, where the Lord is going to speak to us using similar metaphors to what we're going to see tonight. And the point of the metaphor and the point of the message in the Oracle of the Nations is that that which has been lost, the Oracle, the nations in rebellion against God, is going to be redeemed one through Messiah and judged by God. So there's, there's only two paths for anyone to take when we look at the judgments of God in the oracle of the nations. Either you are redeemed by the blood of the lamb or you are in rebellion against God. That's it. That's all there is. So there is either redeemed or in rebellion against God. And so the Lord through the, the prophecy, the oracles of the nations, as he's talking about these other nations who are in like manner to the divine fall that we've seen throughout scripture, the fall of Satan, the fall of the angels, the, the, the divine realm that we can't see with our eyes, but that Paul would tell us is who we're warring against, right? Not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, right? That our, our enemy is not the one we see across from us, but there's things going on in the spiritual realm that you can't see with your eye. But the word of God tells us that that rebellion will also be squashed. And he gives us that information as he lays out the metaphor, as he says, the pride of Egypt is like the pride of Leviathan. The pride of Egypt is like the pride of Lucifer or the pride of Babylon or whichever nation we're we're discussing as we look at those metaphors. And as we see them, we want to understand what is it that the Lord is telling us. The point of the analogy that we're going to see tonight is not that Pharaoh is being compared to some other man, but rather that Pharaoh is being compared to all supernatural opposition to Yahweh's order. That Yahweh stands as order and all of the mythological dragons or beasts, chaos monsters, Leviathan, behemoth, <clears throat> some people will point to those and say, look, the Bible scientifically is talking about dinosaurs. But that is misinterpreting the metaphor. The metaphor is all of these things stand in opposition to God. This is chaos. God is order. In fact, if you read the, the parallel accounts, if you look at Genesis, Genesis says, in the beginning, God. And if you look at the other creation accounts dealing with chaos, it says in the beginning was chaos. Those are two very different things. And so we're seeing this comparison. What's the point? These supernatural forces are in opposition to God. Do we know that? Do we know that there are fallen angels in opposition to what God's doing? Do we, do we recognize that they are busy in this world? And we see them. We see them in chapter 28. We see them in Isaiah 14. And we see them in Genesis 3 at the fall of man. 
right? Because the serpent came out of nowhere, didn't he? To Eve, to, to tempt Eve. We know who that serpent is, right? That great dragon from of old. Revelation would define him as the Satan, right? The accuser of the brethren. All of these other nations, all the nations of the world in Genesis chapter 11 rose up as one in rebellion against God. You remember they were building a tower up into the heavens and the Lord confused the language, divided the nations and began to work with his own peculiar people to be a light to whom? To the nations. He's not trying to cast them off. Otherwise, he would just destroy them all and start over. But he doesn't throw them away. Rather, he creates a nation. A nation, Israel, that's going to be a light to the Gentiles. That's going to shine for them. And God's desire is to restore creation. When Jesus came and he sent his disciples out two by two, there were 70 who go out. According to one gospel, 72 according to another, they, they are, uh, the difference is just in, in the division of nations. But that 70, two by two sent out, 70 guys represents God sending out witnesses to the whole earth that was divided to 70 nations. 70 sent out. We read Revelation, before the judgment of God comes, what do, is there not two witnesses that come? Are there not witnesses that, that bear witness to the truth of God? Do we not have the witness of his word? Do we not have the, the witness of the prophets and all those who have gone before, past, and, and since? So that the, the nations would be called. They would all receive the same message John the Baptist gave when he came. You remember what it was? Repent. Prepare yourself for the coming of the Lord. Two categories, redeemed and rebellious. One's judged, one's saved. And so we see this laid out for us. A comparison, therefore, it, with Pharaoh, with Egypt, with some of these nations that God draws a parallel with the supernatural, divine, rebellious uh, angels He's saying they're all going to fall. I will. You and I, we go, we, 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 we say, we don't know what to do with chaos. Anybody got chaos in their life? Little leviathons running around creating chaos? Anybody got chaos at work, chaos at school, chaos going on? And what's the point? What is, we all struggle. We don't know what to do. How do we control chaos? I don't know how to control chaos. You know what God says? It's not a problem for me. We'll read about it in chapter 32. He's going to pick up the chaos monster and throw it on the earth. His body's going to cover the mountains. It's going to feed all the animals. This is a huge, enormous beast. But God is saying, it's not that big a deal for me. He is the one who can bring chaos under control. Remember, we've talked about the symbol, right? The symbol of the sea as chaos, Right? The sea's a scary place. Storms come up in the sea. All these things. And Jesus is on a boat and the storm comes up and everybody's freaking out. But Jesus wasn't freaking out, was he? Because the forces of chaos could not do anything. The Bible says in the Gospels, 
Jesus rebuked the storm. That word rebuked is a word only otherwise used in the Gospels when he rebukes demons. So he rebukes the storm and he says, be still. So the rebellious angels, they have power? No. They have power more than you and me. They have power over God? No. God can still the sea. He can quiet the chaos. What is required of us is surrender. The problem is so often what we're doing is we're trying to manipulate the circumstance and we're going to get what we want. So I'm going to manipulate, manipulate here, manipulate there. I'm going to create my own reality. I'm going to quell the forces of chaos by my manipulation. How many of you know that all we really do is create more chaos? What does the Bible say? Be still and know that I am God, which means stop striving. Stop manipulating and wait on me. That's the lesson that God is showing us as we look at these oracles of the nations. All of chaos. The whole point of the end of the book of Revelation. All chaos, all wickedness, all rebellion will be brought down. All of it. For God is indeed is able now we saw this this oracle chapter 32 ezekiel is about the pride of egypt egypt was proud right how many of us know that the bible teaches us that god hates pride right it's in a list of things god hates that's how we know god hates pride right he does he does not like pride and so part of the judgment that they're facing is for their Pride, their pride. Their, I, we can t- control this. And then the Lord says, not only that, but he's going to compare for us twice in the oracles to Egypt, the pride of Egypt with the pride of the fallen angels. The pride of Egypt with the divine, the, or our, our angelic brothers and sisters, a part of creation, right, that have fallen. It says, in the twelfth year of the twelfth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, raise a lamentation over Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and say to him, you consider yourself a lion of the nations, but you are like a dragon in the seas. So immediately for them, for them in Babylon, they would immediately know that this is talking about Marduk and Tiamat. This is uh, the dragon of the seas, is that ancient chaos monster that is conquered and his body is divided and used in creation. That was part of their mythology, the mythology of Babylon. So he's saying, look, you guys, you think you're a lion to the nations. Like you have all this pride. You look so good to the nations. But in reality, you are just like the dragon of the sea. You are the chaos monster. The comparison, again, with those divine entities also who have fallen He says, you burst forth in your rivers, trouble the waters with your feet and foul the rivers. He's so big that every time this dragon moves in the water, it brings mud and muck up in the water. So every time he moves, he's this giant, giant creature. So he says in verse 2, son of man, raise a lamentation over Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and say to him, 
You consider yourself a lion of the nations, but you are like a dragon in the seas. You burst forth the river, trouble the waters with your feet, and foul the river. So thus says the Lord God, I will throw my net over you with a host of many people, and they will haul you up in a dragnet and cast you on the ground. On the open field, I will fling you and will cause all the birds of heaven to settle on you, and I will gorge the beasts of the whole earth with you. I will strew your flesh upon the mountains, fill the valleys with your carcass, drench the land even to the mountains with your flowing blood. All the ravines will be full of you when I blot you out. I will cover the heavens and make their, their stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud and the moon will not give its light. This should all sound familiar. These are not the first time these words have been uttered. That we, we see them in Joel. We see them again in the book of Revelation. We see a lot of these pictures. And so often what we do is we come to these and we want to develop some kind of literal concept. So we'll, we'll say the dragon is a, a Huey helicopter or a Vulcan cannon that shoots 300 rounds a second. Or, and we try to take and take what is intended as metaphor and make it literal. Now, literally, is God going to quell all rebellion? Is he going to destroy the wicked? Will he judge the rebellious? Absolutely, he will. And he provides a picture for us so that we can see that it's not a difficult job for him. He's going to grab that sea monster and he's going to fling it up on the shore. And while it's huge, while it's big, while it has a mighty body, he says all the birds are going to gorge themselves on your flesh. Does that sound familiar to you? Have you read Revelation 19? And the Lord God called all the birds together to come to the feast of the great God. Feast on the, on the, on the bodies of great men and great beasts because all the wicked armies of all the world is going to be put down. And the point that he's getting across to us is that God is going to judge the wicked. There's not a, I wonder if God's going to do that. People all the time, when I, when I talk about metaphors, they struggle with it. Well, does that mean it's not going to happen? No, it's going to happen. It's going to happen just like God, just like you and I picking up a worm and, and taking it out of the water and putting it on a hook. God's going to do the same thing. He will put it all down. He will quiet the sea, the chaos, the rebellion. He will ultimately provide the judgment that the rebellious need. He says also, we, we saw the idea of darkness, right? That the, the sun will give up its light, the moon, this is, this is familiar words. We see him in Joel. Joel 2.10 says, the earthquakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. Revelation chapter 6, when we read about the seals, we see the same kind of language there. We see the same kind of language here in Ezekiel. We see the same kind of language in Isaiah. We see the same kind of language repeated over and over. What's he saying? He's saying, look, when God judges, no one is going to miss it. You ever woke up and walked outside and there was no sun and not noticed? 
No? Usually, like, you, it'd be like, hey, who turned out the, huh, yeah. You ever, if, would you, if you went out in the, in the night, you know, what is it that we marvel at the night? We look up and we go, oh, look at all the stars. Look at the moon. Oh, it's so beautiful. But if there is none of those, we notice. We don't just go, you know, walking through as though nothing happened. The Bible tells us that the kingdoms of men were going to fall. Babylon became Medo-Persia, Medo-Persia, Greece, Greece, Rome. And the Bible said that when these things happened, it would, it would be evidence to us, to those who understood the scriptures, that God is in control. He raises up kingdoms. He brings down kingdoms. He judges nations for their wickedness and rebellion against him. When the Medo-Persians took over from the Babylonians, it took the Babylonians a week to realize they were conquered. Did you know that? They didn't notice. They were so busy going about their their posh lifestyle and all the stuff that they had, they they didn't notice that the armies of of the Medo-Persians had come in during the night, had taken uh, Belshazzar, that the kingdom had been taken over and the battle was over. So they just take it over. Most of the people going around in their neighborhoods didn't even know what was going on. And then, you know, King Cyrus makes a decree. And they go, King who? I thought it was Belshazzar. Oh, no, no, now it's Cyrus. Now it's Darius. Now it's Alexander the Great. Now it's the Roman emperor. But it doesn't matter who's making the decrees. The empires of men stand on feet of clay. And they all fall down. And it's evidence of man's inability to stand in governing himself apart from God. Which goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. What was the declaration that Adam and Eve are making when they they listen to the serpent? And they say, hey, yeah, we'll, we'll do this. What were they declaring? They're declaring their independence from God. Hey, Lord, before we needed you to tell us good from evil, but now we'll do it ourselves. Thanks. And for human history, we've been doing a bang up job. Bible, the Bible tells us that these things were going to be what it was like. And so when God judges a nation, you won't miss it. It'll be like the sun was turned out. Now, we have moons turned to blood. Did everybody notice blood moons? Yeah, even guys wrote books and made lots of money on them. Blood moons, the end of the world. We're still here. Do you pay attention to that part? The point is you noticed, right? Hey, look at the moon's. Blood red, that's weird. The Lord is declaring, the sun and the moon darken, the stars withdraw their shining. You're not going to miss the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord will be obvious. We will know it. We will understand it. So the Lord is saying, man, there's going to be blood flowing. Have we heard that before? Like to the horse's bridle throughout the valley of of uh, yeah, we we see that scripture lay out this idea, and we see similar similar metaphors given for us. Now we sometimes we want to run down and 
and and make this something other than the reality that God is absolutely going to judge the wicked. And it will be a big deal. You're not going to miss it. You're not going to, you know, come home from work and then hear on the news, you know, six o'clock yesterday, the Lord's day came. God judged the world. You You didn't notice? No. You'll know, right? You're going to know. You're going to see. You're going to understand. Verse 9, he says, I will trouble the hearts of many people when I bring your destruction among the nations into the countries that you have not known. So he's saying, now focusing on Egypt again, your fall is going to affect many people. We should be able to understand that, right? Econ- uh, economies are, are connected. We, we all say, you know, there's got to be some kind of great reset. There's got to be some economic collapse in the United States. We can't continue like we're going. The problem is we're connected to everybody. You realize. So let's say China owns whatever they own. Let's, let's just say, for the sake of argument, they own 50% of our debt. 50% of 20-some trillion dollars or whatever we're at now. 33 trillion, that's even scarier. So they own 50% of 33 trillion, and all of a sudden we go upside down and we collapse. I don't care how big China is, they cannot afford to lose $15 trillion overnight. When the Lord says Egypt collapses, it falls, it's judged by God, he says the nations are going to mourn because the ripples are going to go through the nations. They, it affects, when Egypt falls, it affects Babylon. It affects the people around them. It affects Tyre and Sidon and Meshach Tubal. And we'll see these nations named out in a moment. And he's going to say, look, it's going to affect when Babylon falls in Revelation. Does it affect the world? You guys know there's no Babylon right now, right? It's just just a bunch of rubble in the desert. But the point is, Babylon represents the the cities in rebellion against God, the world in rebellion against God. When that falls, there's ripples. It affects everybody. The world is connected. And the world in the beginning was connected through God, right? It was connected to him. But as the world rebelled against God and in Genesis chapter 11, and God begins to make the call toward redemption, to call those who will believe, who will respond, who will repent, who will be redeemed. He also reminds the world through his prophets, there will be a day when judgment will come. When the wicked will be judged. He says, all these nations, nations that you have not known, Nations you can't even, you don't even know you have a, an effect on. Do you guys realize that when someone falls, let's just say, let's, let's back up from nations. Let's talk about individuals. If an individual falls, if someone in a ministry falls, does that fall of that person affect more than just him? How about this? Does it affect people that he doesn't even know he knows? Yeah. I remember when we first got here, we're in Walmart. I'm having a bad day, which happens now and again I was I was probably I was probably a little crankier than I needed to be and I was just about to say something to to our cashier checking us out some kind of smart aleck comment and thank God before I opened my mouth and inserted my foot 
She said, hey, Pastor Jackie. And to this day, I have no I still don't know who it was, but she knew me. She knew me. The Lord is saying, look, there's countries you don't even know they're going to fall. I will make many people appalled at you, and the hair of their kings shall bristle the horror of you when I brandish my sword before them. They will tremble every moment, every one for his own life, on the day of your downfall. So on the day when God judges not only Egypt specifically, which actually happened, Egypt comes down, they never arise again as a world power, not only at that moment, but he's also speaking metaphorically of the judgments that are going to come. And on that day, no one's going to be full of pride standing before God on judgment day. No one's going to, all the people that boast and say, I'll give God a piece of my mind are not going to have a thing to say. There will be no words on that day except Righteous and true are your judgments, O God. He's saying here, look, there, when I brandish my sword, they will tremble every moment, everyone for his life on the day of your downfall. But at that point, it's too late to choose to repent. Oh, you're really there, and you really are powerful, and you really are in charge of all this stuff. And gosh, I've really been in rebellion against you. I and mean, even though Romans declares that everyone knows that you're real, and therefore we all fall under condemnation you know lord i i didn't really i didn't and now i believe i'm ready to repent no you're not you're a rebel standing before the judge on that day everyone trembles two categories rebel redeemed now, the good news is you don't have to pay the price to be redeemed, right? There's no, you, it, you owe a debt you can't pay. We sang songs about it tonight. There's a debt you can't pay. Jesus told a parable about it, didn't he? A man owed a, great, a king a great debt, a debt he could never repay. And he goes to the king and the king says, look, I'm going to throw you in jail. I'm going to leave you there forever until you pay back every dime. And the guy begs and he pleads. And the king looks on him with mercy and he says, you know what? I'm going to forgive your debt. You're free. That's what Christ has done. That's what the blood of Christ has provided. Now that man, when he left, he looked at somebody else and he said, hey, you owe me five bucks. Where's my five bucks? He says, oh, give me more time. I don't have the five bucks right now. And so he grabs him by the throat and he throws him in prison. And the servants hear about it, and so they go to the king, and they say, hey, this dude. So the king calls him to him, and he says, hey, I forgave you. Who are you not to forgive someone who owes you? To jail you go. When the disciples came to the Lord, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. There's a line in there that you should pay attention to. Jesus said, forgive us our debts in the same way we forgive others. I want to chew on that for a while. The debt we owe God, God pays. 
He has paid. He made the way. We can be angry and shake our fists, but all we do when we do that is we declare ourselves to be rebels against the one who paid the price for us. We declare our true character. And the Bible declares God will judge that. That will be judged before him. There will be distress. The destruction of Egypt reminds all the nations that they too are subject to a sovereign Yahweh. When the United States falls, and it would seem prophetically that that is a state that must occur at some point, it will remind the world that Yahweh is sovereign. Just as Egypt did. For thus says the Lord God, the sword of the king of Babylon shall come upon you, and I will cause the multitude to fall by the swords of the Giborim, the mighty ones. All of them, most ruthless nations, they will bring to ruin the pride of Egypt. The Bible says something follows pride. Yeah, there's a fall, right? Destruction. And here you have that same truth revealed. He says they're going to come. Come on, we, we, we know this. Uh, how many of you guys saw The Hobbit? Four people? Really? What's wrong with you guys? How am I supposed to make an illustration on The Hobbit if none of you have seen The Hobbit? So the whole point of the story of The Hobbit is that the dwarves were so greedy and they dug up so much gold and they were so filled with pride that it drew Smog, the dragon, who took it all away from them. That's what pride does. Once the nation of Israel was proud, they're proud of their temple, they're proud of their gold, and Hezekiah, he brought the Babylonians over, and he said, dude, you guys have got to see this. And he brought them into the temple, and he showed them, look at all our stuff, look at all the gold we got. And the Lord said, what are you doing, Hezekiah? Those same guys you've shown all that stuff to are going to come back and take it. So we read the consequence of the pride of Egypt when it says all the nations come to take what is theirs. And then the Lord says in verse 13, all the beasts beside the water, no foot of man shall trouble them anymore. No hoofs of beasts will trouble them and I will make the water clear. Remember the metaphor, this big beast moved in the water and it made everything murky and muddy and chaotic. And the Lord says, I'm going to cleanse the land to the point that the water's clear. No, no animals messing it up, nothing. It's just going to be quiet. The land will be empty. I will make the waters clear. Their rivers will run like oil, meaning there's not going to be anything to disturb it, just smooth like glass. Like if you're going water skiing and you go out on the water and the water's just perfect, not a ripple on the water. We, say, we would say, it looks like glass. They would say, oh, it looks like oil. Just that clear oil, nice and smooth. The Lord says, look, it's going to run like oil. When I make the land of Egypt desolate, 
when the land is desolate of all that fills it, when I strike down all who dwell in it, and they will know I am the Lord. Every time these kind of judgments occur, it is a declaration that God is sovereign of the, of the world of men. And man shakes his fist at God and declares his rebellion. That's not new. It's been going on since Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 6, Genesis chapter 11. We see these things occurring. And the Lord saying, you will know because I'm going to show you only I can quell the chaos monster. Only I can still the sea. Only I can open the eyes of the blind. All of these evidences that he is God. This is the lamentation that will be chanted. The daughters of the nations will chant it over Egypt. Over all her multitude they shall chant it, declares the Lord God. He goes on, verse 17. In the twelfth year, in the twelfth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, wail over the multitude of Egypt. Send them down, her and the daughters of majestic nations, to the world below. To those who have gone to the pit. So now he's going to give us this illustration, not of a monster, but rather of all the great nations that have gone to nothing before Egypt. The book of Revelation does the same thing. It talks about kings who were, kings who are, kings who will be again. And it's describing for us those nations in the past that have risen and fallen. Just like Daniel declared in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Risen and fallen, risen and fallen, risen and fallen. Because no kingdom can truly stand until the kingdom of Christ comes. Until he rules and reigns. Because we have a disease. Have you noticed we have a disease? We're greedy. We're... you know, you put four guys together and two of them are going to figure out how to take away what the other two got. Uh, how many times have we seen it? Over and over. Does that mean nobody can ever do anything good? No, it happens every once in a while, right? Just for us to go. And what do we do when we see that? Oh, I have hope for mankind again. And then you'll have 364 days of bad news. Burning buildings killing one another, and then they'll do another happy story. Oh, look, man's not so bad. No, we're knuckleheads. And we need to live lives in submission to God. And when we do, and we're acting, walking, and following him, we're disciples of Christ, and we look like him, then, then there's hope. But it's not in me, it's in Christ. It's in what he provides So he says, son of man, wail over them, uh, for they're going to the world below to those who have gone down to the pit. Verse 19, whom do you surpass in beauty? Go down and be laid to rest with the uncircumcised. So he's talking about those who are in the realm of the dead. Remember the cosmology of ancient Israel was, the world was divided into three parts. Um, The grave, the Bible calls that in Old Testament, Sheol, the grave. The Greeks called it Hades, the place, the realm of the dead, the realm of the living, and the realm in the heavens of the divine. So here he's saying this nation is going into the realm of the dead. They will fall amid those who were slain by the sword. Egypt is delivered to the sword, drag her away with all her multitudes, mighty chiefs 
shall speak of them with their helpers out of the midst of Sheol. So the first category says, man, there, there's mighty men down there in the grave. Men that you may, maybe made the declaration, oh, nothing can take me down. The Bible says there's a last enemy that Christ will defeat. Do you know who it is? Death. But here in this, in this illustration, death is, is saying, ah, come on, Egypt. Plenty of room here. This is the way all great people go. No one is eternal. The mighty chiefs will speak with them, with their helpers, out of the midst of Sheol, the grave. They shall come down. They lie still, the uncircumcised, slain by the sword. Uncircumcised, same as unbeliever, unredeemed. He goes on, whose graves are set in the uttermost parts of the pit. And her company is all around her grave. All of them slain, fallen by the sword, who spread terror in the land of the living. Elam is there. In verse 22, he says, Assyria is there. Verse 24, Elam is there. All her multitude around her grave, all the slain, fallen by the sword, who went down uncircumcised into the world of the pit, uh, who spread their terror in the land of the living. They bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. They have made their bed among the slain with all her multitudes and her graves all around it, all of them uncircumcised, slain by the sword. For the terror of them was spread in the land of the living, and they bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. And he's going to go nation by nation by nation by nation. And eventually... That will also be said of Babylon. Babylon who said, hey, you know, remember, remember Nebuchadnezzar? Hey, I'm going to make a statue and make it all gold. I'm never going to end. But he ended, didn't he? Medo-Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Ottoman Empire, the British Empire, the United States of America's empire, what do they all have in common? They rose and they fell. And here the illustration is, these are all, all these have gone to the grave before you. Here's another way to say what the Lord is declaring prophetically. Those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Nation after nation after nation. What did the Lord declare? The one who will last is the nation whose God is the Lord whose God is your king. Verse 26, Meshach Tubal, they're there, and all her multitude, her graves all around it, all of them uncircumcised, slain by the sword, for they spread terror in the land of the living. He's saying, look, all these guys were great and powerful, and everybody was afraid of them, and they, they looked like they were going to last forever. But they're in a grave. Anybody here ever heard of Meshach Tubal? How about Elam? No you got to crawl into really thick books to find those guys who once upon a time were a terror to the nations who are now not even known. Here they are, having been judged by God, and they are in Sheol, the land of the dead. Uh, verse 27, they do not lie with the mighty, the fallen from among the uncircumcised who went to Sheol, where their weapons of war, their swords are laid uh, under their heads. 
and whose iniquities are upon their bone, for the terror of mighty men was in the land of the living. The Lord's like, yeah, you, you were a terror in the realm of the living. In the realm of the dead, you are nothing. There's no boast in the land of the dead. No one's going to stand before God and go, oh, man, Woo, I was the best. Yeah, sorry. There will be no float like a butterfly, sting like a bee in the grave. This is what he's declaring. Edom is there, her kings, her princes, all uh, who were, who for all their might are laid with those who were killed by the sword. They lie with the uncircumcised who go down to the pit. The princes of the north are there, all of them. And the Sidonians who have gone down in shame with the slain for all the terror that they caused by their might. They lie uncircumcised with those who are slain by the sword and they bear the shame with those who go to the pit. They all lay uncircumcised. The whole point of the uncircumcised is that they chose not to be redeemed. They don't respond to the witness of the prophets, listen to the oracles that they gave, follow the examples of those who came before them through Israel. And so they lie and their shame is upon them. Their guilt is still upon them. Verse 31 says, So when Pharaoh sees them, he will be comforted for all his multitude. So when he's in hell, he's going to look around and go, Oh, man, look at all my buddies that are here. Pharaoh, all his army, slain by the sword, declares the Lord. For I spread terror in the land of the living, and he will be laid to rest among the uncircumcised with those slain by the sword. Pharaoh and all his multitude declares the Lord God. Ezekiel's laying out this concept. He's saying, look, I refuse to be mesmerized by the power of Egypt and or captivated by the dreams of political renewal that, that they might be speaking of. History's uh, theatrical wardrobe was cluttered with the national costumes of those who strutted across the stage for a while. And now they're gone. The point is the grave is the fate of the rebellious. There is no Valhalla for the chivalrous warrior who dies with his sword in his hand. There is only judgment. It is appointed unto man once to die and then judgment. There are two categories that the Bible talks about. The redeemed and the rebellious. The tumult and the shouting dies. The captains and the kings depart. Lo, all our pomp of yesterday is one with Nineveh and Tyre. Judge the nations, spare us yet, lest we forget. That's the message of the oracle to the nations. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time we can spend pouring through your word. 
God, help us to, to recognize, help us to realize, Lord, your, your word is filled with this concept. We, we come to the book of Proverbs, and the book of Proverbs divides into this reality that there are two roads that you can take, one that leads to life, one that leads to death, one that is the path of the fool, one that is the path of the wise, that there is rebel and redeemed. And so, God, you lay this out. Joshua stood before the nation, and he said, we, we have to choose. Each of us has to choose. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. The Lord lays all these things out for us so that we can recognize. We can look down and see the path we walk, and we can ask ourselves, am I walking the path of the rebel? Or am I walking the path of the redeemed? Because no matter where we are, what we've done, what events have come into our life and been a part of our life, the blood of Jesus Christ is more powerful. The blood of Christ can wash us free of all our filth. And the blood of Christ is available that all who will hear the voice of the Father calling come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest all whom the Father has called they come Pray that he has called you, that you hear his voice, that you will not harden your heart as in the days of rebellion, as the a, as a writer of Hebrews declares, but that you will find your rest in Christ. For there will be a day of incredible joy when we see the return of the king, and there will be a day of judgment. Bible declares it to be true. It is so. I pray we might learn the lessons that God's word lays out for us as we study this book. Lord, as we now move toward the prophecies of the future, the promise to come, open our eyes to that plan on that beautiful road of redemption that you will describe for us. And we will give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.